Our God, you are indeed a gracious and loving God who is steadfast towards us, who are a stiff-necked people. You keep covenant faithfully. And we ask now, Lord, that you would do that as we hear of your word. We pray that you would work as you have promised to do by your spirit and your word together, working powerfully and efficaciously in our hearts and in our minds. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see by faith the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would leave here this morning resolved and yet also reliant upon grace to do your will and to obey our Lord and Savior. And it's in his precious and sweet name that we pray. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from your sister church across town, Rincon Mountain Presbyterian Church. I'm the assistant pastor there. We've been in Tucson for about a year and a half now and like it, but already this weather is freezing cold to me when it's (laughs) 60 degrees outside. So I guess I could say I'm a native Tucsonan at this point already because uh, 60 degrees is really cold now. So again, it's good to be with you um, to worship this morning. Our text this morning is John chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn in them with me. And I looked this up, I think it is on page 901 of your pew Bibles. So, page 901, John chapter 15, the fourth gospel. We'll be reading together this morning verses 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord for you. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. This week, uh, I did something that I've done a number of times now. I uh, broke something that is pretty important to my wife and my, my family. Uh, I don't know how many of you are uh, aware, I'm sure most of you are aware, of the, the, the wireless key rings that come on most cars now. We've gotten so spoiled that all we have to do is, is press a button, right, and the car is unlocked. Well, unfortunately, a couple of months ago, I dropped my wife's key ring and that wireless remote entry thing broke off. And Marianne, being the very um, astute uh, helper that she is and much more crafty than I am, was able to fix it by, by taking another keychain and gluing the remote entry keyring to the new keychain and therefore having, again, 
a keychain that actually has a remote wireless entry. Yesterday, I had her car and dropped it again. <laughs> and it broke again. And I picked it up and the glue had sort of cracked. And rather than blaming myself, I am deciding here and now to blame the key ring because it is not really well connected to the wireless keychain, you see. What is your connection to Jesus this morning? Is it a solid, firm connection? Is it living and abiding? Is it real? Is it significant? Does your connection to Jesus make a difference in your day-to-day -day life or not? Or is it just for show? Is it just another facet in your multifaceted world? This is the question that John chapter 15 confronts all of us with. What is our connection to the Lord Jesus Christ? Before we dive into this text, I'd like for us just for a moment to look at the context of this passage that we've just read together. As we approach it, I think that will be helpful. And we're here in the middle of, of what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse, which takes up chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John. And the reason it's called the farewell discourse is because really what Jesus is doing here is preparing his disciples. He's preparing them for what life is going to be like after he leaves them. For what life is going to be like after he is gone. That's why in chapter 13, right before the discourse starts, verse 36, Jesus answers Peter, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And in a sense, he's saying, in the meantime, here's how you're to live. Here's what your life is going to look like. And what the disciples had to learn then was something that we're all familiar with by experience now. And that is that our life, our relationship with Jesus is a relationship based on faith, right? And not on sight. Jesus wants these brothers of his to know that the role of faith is pivotal in their relationship with Jesus. Since now he's exalted up in heaven. We can't see him. And we're here on earth still. So examining this passage in the middle of this discourse, I think, will help us to better understand what our connection to Jesus should look like here in this life, because that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples, you see. To put it uh, theologically for you theologians out there, the question is, what or how does our, does our union with Christ work itself out in the day-to-day of our lives? That's the question that John 15 answers. If you look at the very last verse of chapter 14, you'll see that they have just risen. Jesus has, says, has said, rise, let us go from here. And so now as Jesus speaks to them about him being the vine and them being the branches, we can imagine them walking along the path towards the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to utter his famous prayer that we have recorded in John chapter 17. So as they are walking, Jesus begins teaching them even more about what life looks like now. And the main point I want you to hear this morning, friends, the main point of John 15, 1 through 8 is this. 
An abiding connection to Jesus brings fruit. An abiding connection to Jesus brings fruit. Now, I want to examine that statement and this text with you just for a little bit this morning. And I think we can do that by asking of this text three very important questions. So, I've got a good three-point sermon for you here this morning. I hope you appreciate that. By the way, I grew up Southern Baptist, and in the Southern Baptist Church, you have to have three points. And so that's still, a, still sort of coming in my life. So, three-point sermon. Three questions. First, we're thinking about how an abiding connection to Jesus brings fruit. So the first question we need to ask then is what makes the connection? What makes the connection? If the main point is that a connection brings fruit, then what, making, what makes the connection is a, a question we need to ask at the outset. And in order to answer that question, I want you to look with me again at this image that Jesus being the master teacher that he is, paints for us in this text. Because the way to answer that question comes in the image, in the metaphor that Jesus uses here. Look with me in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. You can imagine him walking down the road in ancient Palestine and pointing to a vine, which was pretty commonly seen in those days in that part of the world, and saying, I am the true vine. Vine. His disciples and any ancient Jew would have been familiar with a vine. And they would have been familiar with vine imagery. It crops up all the time in New Testament history. In 70 AD, when the Jewish nation revolted against Rome, they coined their own currency. And on that currency, they engraved a vine. Uh, The porch, the portico of the ancient Jewish temple that existed in that day. On the porch above it, there was a decorative carving of a vine. But what's even more important isn't the vine imagery as it's seen in in New Testament history, but the vine imagery in Old Testament history. It is very, very common. And Jesus is making use here of Old Testament imagery, this central metaphor in the Old Testament. And so to really get what he's saying, we need to get what that imagery meant in the Old Testament. And there's two things I want you to see about vine imagery in the Old Testament, two key points we have to understand. The first is this. In every single instance in the Old Testament, when a vineyard or vine imagery is used, it always refers to Israel. It always refers to Israel as a nation. And what's more, it almost always refers to Israel as the vine that did not produce the fruit it was supposed to produce. It is referencing almost always uh, Israel for their failure to produce fruit and the consequent judgment that it faced because of that. Psalm chapter 80 is a key psalm there. I encourage you to look at that later on today if you have some time. But let me just read you a couple of other examples where this imagery is used. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts vineyard, there's that vine image, is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. 
Similarly, Jeremiah, another prophet, chapter 2, God says, I planted you, Israel, a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So this sort of imagery paints for us the idea that Israel had failed in their sacred calling to produce fruit. It's the first thing to get about this imagery. Secondly, I want you to see that when Jesus calls himself here in verse 1 of our text, the true vine, what he's saying, we see now with that background in mind, is that he is the true Israel. He is what Israel and what Israel's history pointed to. What he's saying is that he has finally come and fulfilled the good promises held forth from God to Israel if they would repent and if they would believe. So what Jesus is saying here is very profound. He's saying that the true vine is not apostate Israel, but Jesus himself. And those who are incorporated into Jesus Jesus is the vine who will bear fruit. So by making use of this metaphor that would have been very well known to these men that he was speaking to originally, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. They were Jewish men. By making use of this metaphor, Jesus is telling them, and he's telling us as well, that those who are truly a part of the people of Israel, those who are truly in the vineyard of God, are those who are connected to the true vine. It's not the vine of national, historical Israel that matters, you see. That vine only leads to judgment, to being thrown away and burned, as the text speaks of. That vine bore, it bore rotten fruit, and it bore sour wine. That's why Jesus uses this powerful image, this powerful metaphor here. It's not just arbitrary, you see. It isn't because Jesus just sort of saw a vine randomly walking along the road and he said, huh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll make use of that. No, he is doing it very intentionally. So getting back to our question of what makes the connection, we can see from this imagery that the connection is not made through heredity. The connection is not made through being born into a certain tribe or into a certain family as the Jews thought it was. You see, the connection is not one that, is not one that someone can inherit. It's not one that, that someone can earn. It's not one that anyone is, is born into. What makes the connection is true faith. Is true faith in Jesus. That's what he means when he says we should abide in him. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But the way we do that, the way we do that, the way we have an abiding true connection is by believing. Is by believing in who he was and in what he did, his person and his work, right? So the life Jesus, Jesus the vine gives is received by faith and by faith alone. That is what makes the connection. Do you have faith this morning 
in Jesus. That's the only way to enter into the life of God's vineyard. It's the only way to enjoy the fruit of God's garden. If you have not yet experienced life and meaning and joy and peace, then you have one recourse, and that's to join your hopeless life to the life-giving vine that is Jesus, to join it by faith. I suspect most of you here this morning have done that. Most of you are Christians. So the question for us then is, if we claim to be Christ, are we living by faith? Or do we find ourselves going back again and again to the rotten fruit of the Pharisees and the scribes of old? Do we find ourselves being self-reliant and relying on our own effort to have life? Or are we abiding in Jesus? Really, the question is, do we see ourselves as our life givers? Or do we see Jesus as our life giver? Brothers, sisters, we need daily, all of us, to reconnect to the true vine by repentance and by faith. Will you do that this morning? We have a great opportunity to do that here in worship, even in a moment when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The only thing that makes the connection, the only thing that maintains the connection is faith in Jesus. So we've seen first that faith is what makes this connection to the true vine. So the next question I have for us, friends, is what marks the connection? If faith makes it, what marks it? Or maybe to put it another way, how do I know for sure that my faith is genuine? How do I know for sure that I'm really connected to Him? You can imagine the disciples asking a question like that. They're just learning about these things for the first time. And so Jesus gives them two markers of a real relationship with Him. Two markers of a real connection. Look in verse 2 with me. The first marker He gives is that of pruning. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what? He prunes. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So one marker of you being a true branch, of you having a real connection, is being pruned. Now, I'm not much of a gardener myself, and in Tucson it's kind of hard to be a gardener a lot of the time. But I have read about and even seen a little bit uh, maybe a rose or another beautiful flower or plant being pruned. And I've seen the gardener take the shearer and just go to work on that plant or on that flower. And I remember thinking, wow, that seems a little excessive. You're going to kill that plant. You're going to destroy that flower. If you've ever seen pruning happening, then you know that the nature of pruning is not fun, is it? It's not exactly a joyful experience. The sharp knife cuts away at the branch and it gets rid of everything that isn't useful for fruit bearing. And that is indeed the purpose 
of pruning, Jesus tells us. It's to produce fruit. Notice again in verse 2, the fruitless branches aren't pruned at all. He doesn't care for those. God has no use for those branches that don't produce. They're useless. They're done away with. Only the branches that bear fruit and that have shown potential to produce more are pruned carefully by God, the vine dresser. I wonder how God's pruning you this morning. It's painful, isn't it? Maybe you're dealing with um, turmoil and rancor at work, for example. Maybe God is allowing you to struggle with serious sin and temptation. Maybe things are taking place in your family. Maybe there's bitterness in the walls of your home. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time. Maybe you just sort of feel unsatisfied in life. You feel like one thing after another seems to cross your path and hinder you and slow you down and hit you. Maybe even death or serious illness of someone close to you has affected you. What we need to hear, friends, is that these inward and outward trials are God's way of pruning you. One great psalm and hymn says this. You might have sung it here. It's a good RUF song. These inward trials God employs to set us free from self and sin, to break our schemes of earthly joy, that we may seek our all in Him. Here's what we need to hear. There is not a single stroke of His divine pruning knife that is unintended or accidental. There is not a single event in your life, not a single instance of difficulty that is not for your good, that is not for your ultimate increase in fruitfulness. So rather than allowing suffering and sin to discourage us, we should see suffering and sin as a sign that we are truly connected to Jesus. In a sense, it's encouraging because pruning is a mark of a real relationship. Look with me in verse 4. We see there a second mark of a real relationship. Abide in me, Jesus commands us. Abiding is a second marker that we're really connected. And really, the general idea behind this command of Jesus is that no branch has life in itself. That's the idea, and he even says that in verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Abiding in Christ, then, is a conscious recognition of our own dependence on Him for everything. For everything, we are totally, 100% dependent on the vine, on Jesus. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, Beware of a Christless Christianity, of trying to be a Christian without living daily in Christ. The branch 
may just as well try to bear fruit apart from the vine as for you to maintain the reality of Christian life without continual fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Christian growth and Christian life is driven only by the pulsating life of the vine in the branch. That's what our Lord is teaching us here. So continual dependence on the vine, constant reliance upon Jesus, persistent spiritual imbibing in His life, that is the way of spiritual fruitfulness. That is the mark of true connectedness with Him. So we've got pruning and we've got abiding. Those are marks of a real connection to our Lord Jesus. And one of the, to me anyway, one of the, the glorious pieces of application from this point, from this idea that our Lord gives us here, is that we can be comfortable with the fact that we all need help. Christians are people who are dependent. They're people who are messed up. They're people who are needy, who are broken, who are weak. We are people that God is working on and working in. We're people that need the gospel. The gospel is for sinners like us. The gospel is for people like us who don't have it all together. And consciously realizing that we don't have it all together is not a sign of a lack of faith. Rather, it's a sign of faith. It's a sign that we recognize that we're dependent, that we're nothing but branches, right? Do you live a life of dependence on Jesus? Do you consciously recognize your need for Him if you're going to bear fruit? When you struggle against sin in your life, how do you fight it? Do you fight it by telling yourself, I have got to try harder. I really need to do better. Or do you fight it by humbly relying on and seeking extra measures of grace from Jesus by prayer and by fasting and by fellowship with the saints? Is your life characterized by prayer? That's another way of knowing if you're acting in a dependent way because prayer is merely faith expressed in words. Is your life characterized by prayer, by begging Jesus to bring fruit into your helpless heart? When you try to witness to someone in your family or someone who's close to you who you would long to see come to know Jesus, do you do that by trying to come up with the irrefutable argument for Christianity? Or... Do you do it by getting to know them and by spending time praying for their soul, by loving them in earnest? The point of these questions for me and for you is for us to remember that we can do nothing good on our own. It all comes from Jesus, you see. And recognizing that is a mark of true union with Him. Man, that's comforting. I kind of want to just take a deep breath. It doesn't depend on me. The Lord is at work in us to produce fruit. And depending on Him is an exceedingly freeing 
thought. It frees us and releases us from these legalistic burdens that we bear and from these hopeless sentiments that we have for ourselves living in our own power. And notice that he promises again and again in the text that if we abide in him and rely on him, he will abide in us. He will empower us to bear fruit. So abiding, being dependent, giving up on yourself in a sense, is a guaranteed means of fruitfulness. It's an indelible mark of connectedness. What makes the connection? Faith in the true vine. What marks it? God pruning us painfully at times and us abiding in Jesus. And then finally and briefly, a third question for us. What is the purpose of the connection? What is the purpose of the connection? Look in verse 8 with me. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, those words, by this, actually look forward to the second part of the verse. It's a reference to us bearing fruit and proving to be Jesus' disciple, which is what Jesus has been talking about the whole time here, you see. And he says that the ultimate purpose in your doing that isn't for you to bear fruit, although that is a good thing. The ultimate purpose is what? That the Father is glorified. That is the purpose of our connection. And what a good reminder it is for us that even our salvation ultimately isn't about us. It's about God and His glory. Abiding in Christ by faith. Allowing Him to prune us. Harvesting our connection to Him. Brings glory to God in heaven. So you see that the gospel is not God making much of us. The gospel is God making much of himself and then allowing us to partake in making much of him. The entire gospel, our, our entire relationship to Jesus as a, a branches to a vine, constantly rotates around the, the all-controlling and the all-encompassing all idea of the glory of God. And we're always in need of reminder here. The joy and the peace that we can have even in this life by abiding in Jesus brings God glory. God has given us Christ so that in Christ we can glorify God. And that's the ultimate motive, the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate purpose of our connection to Jesus. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards put it this way, true saints have in their minds in the first place to be inexpressibly pleased and delighted with God. With God. So what is your connection to the Lord Jesus? I heard a pastor 
talk about this once. And he said that many of us are connected to Jesus like Christmas tree ornaments are connected to a Christmas tree. It seems legitimate. It seems genuine, but there's no real, living, vital connection. The attachment is just a fake. So is your life connected to Jesus like a Christmas tree ornament is connected to a tree? Or are you a true branch? Friends, this text at the end of the day calls us again simply to believe in Jesus. That is how we are connected. That is how we stay connected. And that's how we give honor to Christ. So quit trying so hard to connect yourself and realize that it's Jesus that connects you. When you realize that, fruit will always follow. Let's pray. Our God, you are so good to us. We do not deserve your mercy, even in the least bit. Yet you have shown it to us in Jesus. You have given us life in him, the vine. Thank you for making us a branch on the vine that is Jesus. And forgive us, Lord, for trying to have life in and of ourselves as if the branch can live on its own. Forgive us for when we are pruned with the intent of bearing fruit, we blame you rather than thank you. Forgive us for not dealing with our suffering through faith. Forgive us for not seeking to abide in Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to do that as we read your word, as we pray, as we spend time with one another here in this body, and as we even now come to the table of Jesus. Will you indeed make our connection more and more vital? Will you indeed cause fruit to grow in our midst, in our lives, so that others would come and see, so that others would know Christ, and ultimately so that you would be honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.